What's up, everybody? This is Scott Lease here with my good friend and partner in Surf and Sales, Richard Harris, and welcome to the Surf and Sales podcast. We are joined today by the founder and CEO of RepView, Ryan Walsh from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. How's it going, Ryan? Great. It's going great. Thanks for having me, Scott and Richard as well. I appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you guys. Yeah, yeah we're, really, we're really excited to talk with you today and get into some of the details about uh, RepView and what you're working on. But uh, first, I want to thank our sponsors uh, that make Surf and Sales podcast happen and help us produce. We're going on almost 200 episodes now this year alone, which is, uh, I don't know if there's like a record or something we're chasing, Richard, but we're, we're getting close to 200. I feel it is emotionally good. for us. I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Uh, so our, our sponsors are Vidyard and gong.io and lead411.com. And uh, they're great partners, great pieces of sales SaaS tech stack, and I hope everybody gets a chance to, uh, to check them out. So, Ryan, tell yeah. everybody, uh, you know, who you are and, and what RepView is all about and who you're selling to and, and give folks some context for the uh, conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to start with a little bit of my background. It's, it's a little different than a lot of salespeople now that, that, are, that are floating around out there. I, I, so, first of all, I came out of school in 99, so just dating myself there a little bit. Uh, one of the interesting things about that time that people, especially if you weren't in the business world in 99, uh, Richard, you were, Scott, you maybe know. I'm the same, I'm the same I was like grammar school or something like that. No, no, no. Ryan and I graduated high school in 95 and graduated university in 99. We're, we're the oh, same, Ryan. So we're, we're on point there. Okay, good. So, so you're what he's saying basically is I look old as fuck. Yeah, you're going to pick up what I'm putting down. No, I just scoped it on your, on your LinkedIn, Richard. It's all good. Um, otherwise I wouldn't have, would have never guessed it, but so, uh, 99, what people don't realize that didn't come out or, or weren't in the business world, then that the internet boom was insane. Right. I mean, it was just different than what we've seen and these, what people call a bubble now is not the same. And I wanted to get up with, get, get on board with the startup. That was one of the things I wanted to do. I did. And I, I joined a startup and I joined in March of 2000 and it was sold in, May, June of 2000, it had been in business 10 months with minimal revenue and sold for $180 million. Oh my God. What was it? What was it? It yeah. was the name of the company was auctionrover.com. And it, it was basically an aggregator of, of auction websites. So you take, you know, kind of like, you know, during the internet boom, there was a hundred different auction websites, 200, 400 different auction websites. You go to this site and you would search and it would aggregate all the results and you would get to see all the results in one place. And it was acquired by a company called goto.com, which changed their name to Overture and was acquired by Yahoo. And, and Overture, goto.com was the original search engine before Google was the big search engine. It was goto.com. And they wanted to get into auctions and they made a bet. And then three months later, everything, everything fell apart. The good news for us is we, um, our bills were paid for the next year and a half while everybody else went out of business. If that acquisition didn't happen, we wouldn't, it wouldn't have, you know, I would have been looking for a job pretty, pretty soon thereafter, I'm sure. Um, in any case, the, the two founders of that company then, then acquired most of, you know, a portion of the assets back in late 2001 and started a new company called Channel Advisor. And I joined that company on day one as essentially a, a, an enterprise rep sort of role, AE type role in 2001. And I stayed there for 17 years from day one until the last six years, I was VP of sales for a couple of years and then CRO for a few years as well. 
Um, we were a public company, grew from zero to, you know, 120 million or so when I left in top line. And so, so it was, it was, for me, it was great. I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't doing sales before that, um, fell into it, enjoyed it more so than enjoyed it. I was what, was your, what was your degree though? And like, and how did you go into sales? Yeah. So my degree was economics at, at UNC here in Chapel Hill. I still live in Chapel Hill now. Um, and when I started at, at the startup, right, you just take a job, right? They always tell you, Hey, if there's a rocket ship, uh, just get on, get a seat. You know, don't ask, don't ask any questions, right? Just get on the, get on the ship. And, yeah. and so I was doing a number of different things, but, but basically what I was doing in day one was evangelizing, um, sellers, uh, you could call it sales, but it was free. We weren't charging for it. Um, and so it's sort of sales. And then, and then my first real job in kind of the new formed formal organization, when we spun back out as a new company called Channel Advisor, I was really running, I kind of started the first professional services team. And I was a manager of a small professional services team. And as an aside, the, the CEO and, and some mentors of mine there said, why don't you try selling a couple things, try to take a few of these accounts. And, and, and it, I think part of it, I had the, the, the in-depth knowledge from running the services team. And then I just enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the, 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 every aspect of selling I enjoyed. And so after about a year or so, I moved exclusively into a sales role and you know, over time, some, some sales management roles and leadership roles and grew from there. Um, so no, never thought of it. That's it's a, you hear it all, all the time. I'm sure both you guys, right. Where somebody says, I, I wasn't planning on getting into sales, right. Nobody, nobody really is right. But then, but, but, but for, but the country needs millions and millions of salespeople, but nobody, nobody plans on going into sales. So it's right. kind of funny. <laughs> the country needs millions and millions of salespeople, but nobody plans to go be a salesperson and they don't teach it in school. Right. And you make can make a whole lot of money doing it. Right. Make all the sense in the world. Right. Richard, Richard, Ryan basically has had the exact opposite career as me. He, he like gets his first job, hits a home run. Right. Then he, then he goes to this next company, stays there for 17 years. For That's right. My God, right. And then you went into business for yourself for a little bit and now you've founded yep. uh, RepView, right? Yeah. Wait, I want to dig in though. I want to dig in. Yeah. You came out looking for the startup. You got excited about it. You hit a home run. Luck, um, luck by the way. All right. That's all right. No, that's, there's no such thing as luck. It's just you were prepared and you made the right choice. Um, <laughs> but then you stayed somewhere 17 years, which is the opposite of wanting to be at a startup, right? Right. Like year two or three, were you getting itchy and antsy by year seven where you're like, Oh my God. Or was the money just that good? Which is fair. Like it's in sales, right? Like yeah. but 17 years, like is just, you know, unheard of. Yeah, it is. I mean, it wasn't the money. I mean, as any reasonably well-performing salesperson, I, I made decent money, but it wasn't, you know, at the, as a rep, it wasn't like life changing or anything like that. It was really more about the, the, the journey, which was, you know, I, I we started with zero revenue, basically, right? We grew from zero. So you think about the transitions that happen. And, and, and we're an early SaaS company. We're selling software as a service. The, the company is middleware that connects merchants to Amazon and eBay, essentially, and, Mark, and Walmart and other marketplaces, um, just to give you background on that. But, but I stayed because I, I was, and I tell people this all the time, you're not loyal to companies, right? Nobody's loyal to a, to a building, right? You're not loyal to a piece of equipment. You're loyal to people, right? And it was a couple people, particularly our founders, 
um, that I was very tight with, very loyal with, you know, they knew that I was working really hard for them. They had my back and I was loyal to them. And, and I watched this so grow. Pause right there. Pause right. Yeah. Cause I think this is important, particularly if you're going into the startup world, right? Yeah. What are the values that those founders had that fostered that loyalty for you? Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that, that and these are values that I bring forward with, with my, the way I operate, which is, um, you know, fairness, number one, you know, treat people fairly integrity and integrity is something that is non-negotiable, right? For it should be for sales leaders, any leader doesn't have sales, whatever integrity, accountability, right. And transparency. Those, those so are, let's, kind of- let's dig into those for a second. Right. And I, and I want to get to rep you a little bit, but yep. what, what example did you see in those leaderships or have you transformed into your own around integrity? Like, what was there, without naming the name of a company, was there like, you know what, we're not going to operate that way or a certain situation? Like, I want, I want to get people concrete, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's it's less about other companies that you see for me, and it's more about uh, nefarious things that borderline um, questionable from an ethics standpoint in terms of how people operate. And that can happen in sales organizations. It can happen outside of sales organizations. Yeah, but what? give an example of that. Like where was like, oh, this was, you know, we had this decision to make or they had this decision and here's what they did. Yeah, so treating, you know, uh, poor use of company resources without getting into too many details, right, is one example, right? Poor use of company resources. Um, so I don't, wanna, I don't wanna go into too many specifics is, is one such example. Another such example is um, questionable behavior on, in, the, in the actual workforce and treating people and, and how you, you know, um, which is something now that, it, look, I'm, I'm going back some years now, right? But things that, were happening and 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 by the way, this is not a, a blight on an, my the company I work for or any sure. specific company, but seeing seeing things and then you know there's action you know, you can either take action or you can't take action or you don't take action and if yeah. you take action that sends a message that you know the way that you treat the way that pe- not the way that you as a leader treat people the way that people on team treats other people is important as well, right? Yeah. So when you talk about that that so that that kind of crosses the boundaries of. Of integrity. Right. I've, I've seen it, right? I, I've seen, I've had leaders at previous companies be misogynistic or yes. uh, drug or alcohol use. And, you know, it was reported up through HR and it was sort of like it was handled, but, yeah. you know, the behavior never really changed, right? right? And, and we're, not, yeah. we're not accusing any one of your companies of doing those things, but I think, I think that's the stuff that's changed. And, you know, I think fortunately for, the Me Too movement has come forward. Uh, it's sad that it's necessary, but I'm glad that it's here. Um, as well as, you know, just in general, the partying of, you know, salespeople and like constantly, it's not even salespeople, but anyone, like it's just excessive. And I think you and I've seen it a ton in Silicon Valley, right? Like, you know, you it was in the, you know, around the literally the turn of the century, you know, you handed these, these kids, you know, Five million, ten million dollars, and the first thing they did was throw a, a funding party. Right now, you see kids getting, you know, five or seven million dollars, and they're afraid to spend it. Right? <laughs> it's, you know, which is, you know, that's growth and maturity in the industry, which is good. But I, you know, I, I want to make sure we at least mention those things. That those are the things that mean good leadership and integrity. Um, what about accountability? Like, what, you know, what does accountability mean for you? 
as you look at yourself and or working with others um, that you advise or you, you know, places you've been? What, you know, what's interesting about accountability, people, many times you hear that word and you just think, okay, so if you're a sales leader, the accountability means if somebody's not hitting their number, then you move, you move them out of the business, right? That, that's actually not really how I think about it. I really think about it as me, if I'm a sales leader, I'm accountable to the entire team, right? And so to use that example, right? If somebody is, you know, we've all hired tons and tons of people, right? It's hard to get, nobody's going to ever hit a bad 100, bad 1,000, whatever it is for, for hiring. It's just impossible, right? And that, that's part of what, what's going on at RepView. But for, for accountability, it's, it's not so much like, hey, I'm going to hold you accountable to hitting your number. It's I am accountable to building a team, right, in the best way possible and delivering an environment that is enabling you, my team, to, to succeed. Sure. Part of that is if there's people that aren't working out, then we have plans for that and, and the process for that. And not everybody's the right fit. But I think accountability too many times is thought of as, hey, you're, you're going to be accountable to this number. Right. And, you know, come so, hell or high water, you're out or, you know, that's not that's not how I think about it. really. So you're so I'll paraphrase or and tell me if I'm wrong, but in your mind at leadership, your accountability as a leader is to build the right infrastructure to train your team, to coach your team, to give feedback to your team, honest feedback, so that they can achieve the number. Is that a little bit of what I'm hearing? Absolutely. And, and accountability means something different at every layer, right? Accountability right. means something different to an SDR than, than what you just described, right? Accountability is, hey, you, you've got some metrics, maybe they're call metrics, whatever they are, like, let's, let's be accountable to that. Let's be accountable to showing up on time every day. Let's be accountable to the basics. You know, so does accountability mean effort? It depends on the position, right? I mean, I think, I think as a, like use the example of an SDR, right? Highly successful SDRs, many times the trade is they're, they're high activity. They, they put in a lot of effort, right? And so, however, as a sales leader, um, different sales leaders look at it in different ways, right? What are the results, right? I, I, and, and I've said this before, like pre-pandemic, you know, if you're hitting your number every month as an AE, right, I'm, I'm not maybe, maybe parse this from AE, move to AE from SDR, but if you're hitting your number every month, I don't care where you're working, right? Like, I don't, you know, like, I, yeah, I want you to kind of update Salesforce. There's some minimum bar things that you need to be doing and you need to be, you know, um, but does accountability mean effort? Yeah, sometimes it does, but not, I, I don't, I don't care as much about the effort as much as the, the results and building and giving you a framework to succeed and, and hit those results, right? Uh, and I'm gonna assume if, if you can do all that with very minimal effort, then either you're just a complete, you know, Jedi master, or maybe like, the, maybe the goals aren't, aren't set up right. Is this, is all this kind of dovetail into what I presume is the passion that you have around kind of flipping the script and, and protecting sales reps and helping ensure that they're treated well and going to the right places. And, and that birthed the idea for RepView? Partly, yes. So, so the, 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 I, where you're going with that question really is, is and I've, I've used this before, like when you run a sales team, right, your, your objective is to, and we just talked about this, can, can I build an environment where people can succeed, right? That's my job, right? I just need to, I need to create an environment where people can succeed, right? And, and help people succeed, right? I don't, you know, I tell sales managers, sales leaders, don't worry about your number, just do whatever you can to make sure they have the opportunity to hit theirs and you'll, you'll be taken care of. 
And so that's, you know, the largest team I ran was, you know, 230 or 40 people, right? Okay, that sounds like a lot, but there's millions and millions of salespeople. And I, I look at RepView as an opportunity to do that at a much, much greater scale is to deliver an environment for people where they can really succeed and hit their, their highest potential because they're finally in an organization that's a good fit for them, right? And, and so it's more like at scale, um, we, can, we can do what I enjoy doing as, a, as a, you know, a, an operator, a sales leader, um, which is help people succeed. That's, that's kind of that tie there. So, so reps who have worked at a particular company, they leave reviews of the company for other people to, to check out. How, how do you know that the reviews are, you know, fair, unbiased, not, how do, how do we avoid the, like, this is a bullshit Yelp review type, you know, situation or the bullshit glass door review, yeah. which, is, which is all, you know, yeah. something that people think about, I, I believe at least. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. That's why we don't do reviews. We hate reviews. We don't think they're good. And we don't think they're, um, uh, th- there's not a good scalable way to, you know, with, with Glassdoor as the example you use, right. You, you, as a sales rep, you go there and you read a few things, you read a few more things. Maybe there are salespeople doing it. Maybe they're not. You get a feel. A lot of people don't like it. It's probably 47% uh, people that are disgruntled. 47% HR told me to do it. And 6% might be legitimate of that 6%. Some are salespeople. So we don't, we don't do reviews. What, what we've built uh, at RepView is, and, and the original impetus for it and, and was, why are so few people hitting quota and why is attrition so high, right? Like people are going 11 months, 11 months, 11 what, what's causing this, right? And, and you know, there, there's obviously an issue with the fit for the person and the company. And sometimes it's one person's fault. Sometimes it's a company's fault. And, and I, I zeroed in on one key element to the fit, and that is the interview process which is an exceptionally one-sided, it's a huge transaction, so important for people to get to pick the right job, but the information flow during this interview process is one-sided. Okay, Scott, you're gonna interview me for a AE role or whatever role, right? Hey, HR review resume, HR phone screen, Scott phone screen, bring them in, panel, Scott interview, another person interview, director or VP interview. Uh, maybe there's a test, maybe there's a disc, maybe there's whatever role play. And then, and then you say, Hey, Ryan, we got six minutes left in the interview. Do you have any questions for us? Right. That's, that's, that is the common experience that salespeople have, right. And six minutes, well, what should I ask? I've got my basic little, you know, post-it of questions and it's just the information flow is, is so unbalanced and it results in people just, Hey, I won the interview. I got the job, but do you really want the job? Is that the right job for you? So what can we build that can deliver transparency and what, and, and the original impetus was actually, if I have more information about companies and better information and more information and better information about people, we can match people and companies. And so we've got a very unique rating process to your question about reviews. A user spends two minutes, they enter information about three different things. What is the company doing well and not doing well? Structured, some compensation data and analytics, structured. And then uh, the third part is a, a little drag and drop exercise that tells us what they care about, what's important to them in their career. Those three kind of sections of the ratings process in total take about two minutes. And once you submit a rating, uh, then you're signed up, you're a user, and you can access the data that we've aggregated. And what our job at RepView, our job is to take all these ratings, aggregate it together, 
and deliver a highly visually appealing uh, showcase page of sales organizations so that they can so that a user can consume the data on these sales organizations and make the best decision for them. What's going well? What's what's the company doing well? What are they not doing well? Um, compensation data analytics and you know I'm happy to answer your question about fake reviews and that sort of thing too because we've got that kind of pretty well one, figured out. One thing I'm I'm thinking about right now is, is you know, like how much are we relying on a, a rep's self-awareness in order to, to put accurate data in the system and, and make the right choices for them? It's one of the things that I find, have found in my 20 years or so of sales leadership is people don't know themselves and they put themselves in harm's way. It's, it's like, you know, somebody who, uh, you know, moves really slow, takes a transactional sales role. Somebody who, you know, wants to move a million miles an hour puts themselves in a big, long enterprise sales role. Someone who likes lots of training goes someplace that doesn't provide any training. Exactly. Um, I, I worry about, I worry about the need for people to be self-aware before they can like get maximum value. Yeah. Am, I, am, I, am, I, am I wrong? It's really interesting, right? So, so yeah, no, you're not wrong. And I think that's a big part of, of some of the issues around attrition and things like that is people haven't really sat down and, and internalized what they value in their sales career and what's important to them from a career standpoint. So to use your example, right? You know, when I think back of people that attrited from my sales organization, I think, our, you know, maybe we were too technical of sale and maybe our training wasn't right for them. That's not their fault. It's not necessarily our fault. It's just, it's just a fit issue that maybe we didn't do a good enough job vetting that in the interview. But the, also the people, the, the sales professionals are not uh, considering that. It's actually one of the reasons we put during the ratings process, we have, you, you literally have to drag and drop our seven ratings categories first and stack rank them first to last. Base comp, incentive comp structure, product market fit, uh, professional development and training, uh, inbound lead flow, diversity and inclusion, and culture slash leadership, senior leadership. Uh, so those seven things, you know, and it, for people think about it. I get emailed all the time, like, man, it really, it's an interesting, like, I never thought about it. This is helpful for me to think about it. And then the original concept of RepView is when you do that, when you submit that, we know what you care deeply about. Well, here's five companies that perform really well in the things that you care most about. And you yeah. know what, here's, here's some other great companies and maybe they're struggling in the areas you care about. So those aren't matches for you. And that, yeah. that was kind of the original. Maybe, maybe if nothing else too, like this is a bit of a forcing function to make those people go through that thought exercise. Exactly. So I have a question though. I want to, I want to combine what Scott said and, and what you said, Scott, you know, as you listen to those things that, that Ryan mentioned, right. Super powerful, super high level what are three things you would add to that checklist that people should force rank? Cause Scott, Scott's actually, Ryan, you don't know this, but Scott's very good at hiring. Like I've worked with him. I've seen him and he, he doesn't use recruiters because frankly, he really is better than them. Um, no offense to any recruiter who wants to sponsor us. We'd be love, we'd love to have you. Um, <laughs> Just close that channel down quick. So, <laughs> so, so 10% of your market. It's okay. 
Yes. Scott, so what, what would be three things you'd be like, hey, that stuff all matters, right? Diversity, inclusion, um, you know, culture, those kinds of things. But what would be three things to, to drive that individual awareness that you wish would be part of that stack rate? Man, I need Ryan to repeat his seven categories so I don't. I don't yeah. And it, yeah, I'll repeat them. And, and, and there are a couple and we always balance adding more with brevity. Uh, but the, the incentive comp structure uh, base compensation. And, and to be clear, these are uh, sentiment scores. It's a one through five star sentiment score. Um, so incentive comp structure, uh, base comp, culture and leadership, which we, we have a little description of each. It's more senior leadership, not your manager, because that changes a lot. Uh, product market fit, inbound lead flow, diversity and inclusion, and professional development slash training. Man, I don't know what, I, honestly, Richard, I think all the things that I could come up with to add would fall into Ryan's categories as sub bullets and subcategories. Yeah. You know, right. And, but is it, but, and my reason for asking is, you know, and it's very different, you know, for us, because look, we've lived 20 years in sales, give or take. Right. But if you're trying to help assess a 20 something first sales job, second sales job, third sales job, where they just don't have the life experience, do you need to get more granular? Do you need to go and say those things, right? Scott, uh, I was about to call you my son's name, Riley. Scott, um, you know, of prefer a fast sales cycle, long sales cycle. I'm good at a long sales cycle. You know, like, where's well, that differentiation for you? Well, the differentiation is in the specifics. And I'm sure Ryan, you know, in his process and through his product gets into those those specifics, but it, it's it's in the details. So I might hear his category of professional development or career development type of things. Like, okay, well, what does that what does that mean, right? Mm -hmm. Does that mean I have a quick path to promotion? Does that mean I have access to senior leadership to you know interact with and get mentorship from all day long? On the on the um, comp plan stuff, like it could be really really granular, like. Will you get paid commissions on the 30th of every month or you get paid commissions, you know, 90 days after the, the contract gets signed, you know, that kind of stuff. Like those little kind of details for every category that he's talking about, that that's the kind of coaching that I would want to provide to early kind of uh, sales reps. I'm sure you get into that stuff, right, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, we, we have a, a definition of each one uh, underneath it, right? And it has to be, I mean, we, we have like part one of the questions is average, average order value, average sale price. Um, but I think the, uh, to just take kind of taking a step back is if you look at a page on our site, like there's, there's certain pages you can go to without registering, like Salesforce is one of them. Uh, there's a little filter you can see preview ones that are not gated. Um, but you look at a page on our site, we want a user to be able to go there and, and we're still kind of working on this, but it's like, when you look at the page, if you're interviewing for that company, then you have a roadmap of what questions you need to ask. Okay. So, Hey, look, they're a little weak on this company's a little weak on to your point that like the incentive comp structure. Okay. Well then dig into that, get a copy of the incentive comp structure, ask about it, under, make sure you understand before you take that job, like they're getting some poor ratings on incentive comp. We'll just make sure that that you've dug into that and you're comfortable with that or, or whatever the category is that's, that's, you know, that, that might be weaker than others. Um, and so, so, so that's a, a core part of the, the experience for reps is 
is to just train. It's all about transparency, just extreme transparency. We, and we have it. We, we're kind of getting to some scale now with some of the larger sales organizations have 70, 80, 90 ratings. Um, you know, so it's, this is not, yeah, it, it's material. Yeah. It becomes, starts to become statistically significant. Right. Yeah. And we only share. So when you publish a, when you add a rating to our site, that the, that company doesn't go live on our site. We, we won't even publish the page until there's at least seven unique user ratings um, for the company. So there's how many? Seven. Seven, okay. Yep, seven. We have just under 250 company sales orgs published. Well, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna pull us out of this. Um, I, hope yeah. this I hope the listeners didn't find, I hope they found it useful, not a product pitch, because that was not the intent. But, um, and I don't think we pitched it, but I hope people do go check it out. Like, I think it's, it's needed in the in the ecosystem of helping reps, right? Get find the right fit for them and the right roles and jobs. And and equally, it's valuable for the companies because they need to find the right people and stop fucking shit up. Um, I want to come back to to pulling out and talking to you about sort of the CRO role, right? This this role, you know, as best I can tell, started about five years ago ish. Um, and is now, now it's not, I wouldn't even say it's mainstream. It's just sort of now becoming a mainstream thought process, but not a mainstream execution. Mm-hmm. How do you define the CRO role? Cause I feel like it's still very, uh, in, you know, fluid at the moment. And I'm just curious yeah. from your experience, like what are the things you think defines that role? Yeah. Uh, company has a sales leader. They want to really keep, let's throw a C in front of his title. Let's try and keep him a couple more years. I mean, all right. That's, I mean, that's what it is. Right. I mean, I think I, I got the CRO title, maybe, I don't know, 2014 ish. And like at the time I was like, okay, yeah, Hey, maybe my next role will be not VP of sales, but SVP or v, or EVP of sales, whatever that is. And then it's like, Oh, here's CRO. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we'll keep them a couple of years, but it, it, it really does vary. Right. So, so as a, as a VP of sales, right. You kind of have a pretty well-defined lane. Okay. And then uh, uh, the notion of a CRO in theory and in my take should be that lane expands and captures something else. Right. And, but, but it's not well-defined as to what that is because in some organizations that can yeah. be marketing, right. And so we're going to ask you is what those other lanes are and they're, yeah. they're yeah. different for everybody. Yeah. So it, it's really one of two things, right? If you think of sales as acquisition of the customer, it can be two things. Generally, it can be, it can start all the way at top of funnel. And so CRO may, be marketing. Although with marketing, you generally have a traditional CMO role, right? So, so that, that, you know, that may or may not be. And the other side of that is it, it, it contains full customer life cycle. So then whether that's a support and professional services or, or account management or however the company is structured, but a CRO role generally will, will, will take the acquisition and expand out either front or back and add on ownership of customer through entire customer life cycle and renewals and, pro services, CS, customer success, whatever, or sometimes upfront marketing. Um, and, and, you know, I think if, if I'm advising companies on that, I'm really thinking less about titles upfront. Don't say we're going to have a title and then we're going to find people to fit that, <laughs> that title. It's more about find the best people you can and then, you know, give them whatever responsibility that they can effectively lead. Um, you know, whether that's, sales and marketing, whether that's sales and renewals or whatever that is. Now, so you, 
who do you think should be the, what is your ideal? Is it a marketer being CRO? Can a VP of marketing be an effective CRO? Can a, VP, uh, I, can a VP of CS be an effective CRO? Does it have to be a VP of sales? I, I, I'm, I'm going to show my bias here, and I'm going to say that it's if, if you're running the sales organization, you need to have some pretty good experience selling, okay? And I think if I'm going to tack on one of those two things, sales and, and marketing or sales and renewal success, I would probably tack on the latter sales and renewal success. And I would leave the marketing piece to, you know, like that's, it, it, that's it. That's interesting because that's the least common one. I find, I find the most common one is somebody gives you sales and marketing and leaves the account renewal piece out of that, uh, that, that triangle. Yeah. So, but I, but I actually agree with you. I agree. Well, so let me say this. If, if you, uh, like, if I, if somebody said, Hey, Ryan, here's a great CRO role, take this job and it, it involves marketing. First thing I'm going to go do is go find somebody who knows marketing, you know, and, and, and could run mark, whether that's a VP of marketing, whatever it is, because that's, you know, that's, it's not my strong suit. Like I, yeah. you know, I mean, and that's admittedly so, um, and, um, you know, on the renewal side, that's, that's, you know, in customer success, a lot more of a comfort zone, you know, for me. And when I was running uh, the, the organization, um, things kind of flipped back and forth. I, I never really owned much at all of any of anything related to marketing, but, you know, account management would fall under revenue for the most part and um, not necessarily customer support, technical support, but, but kind of the renewal stuff would, would hit us too. Uh, now, couldn't, now, couldn't the, the VP of marketing, though, who gets promoted to the CRO role, just say, well, the first thing I'm going to do is hire a VP of sales or director of sales because, you know, that's not really my wheelhouse. Can't they make the same argument in, the, in reverse on us? They certainly could. I, I just don't think you're going to see that as super common at, at companies unless you get to just an enormous organization where it's your, your leadership positions are 100% about moving chess pieces around with, from a people standpoint. Um, you know, if you're, if you're not, you know, if there's still some level of execution, I just don't see it as common for a, 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 a head of marketing to take over the sales organization. Um, you know, it, it, but yes, you could make that argument, but, but some people like maybe me and you would just argue against it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I've been having this conversation lately. I, we have a, I, Richard and I have a good friend who, uh, was a CMO and is now the CRO. And I can think of at least one other VP of marketing who's actively lobbying for CRO role. I think, you know, I think Daryl Prale's the exception, right? Over at VanillaSoft, our friend Daryl, you know, he was a marketing guy, but he's taken over the CRO role. I'd love to hear, you, you should have this debate with him. So maybe that's, that's our next, uh, you know, do a live session of who should be the CRO role. Right? Put, put, we'll put Ryan as the now, captain of one of the teams. Now, regardless of <laughs> who's in the role, um, the life expected lifespan of this particular individual mm -hmm. is like, you know, that of a, <laughs> a butterfly or a caterpillar, right? Like you're gone in 18 months or so, whether you're VP yep. of sales, CRO, whatever. You lasted way longer than that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, what do you think allowed you to beat that average? 
yeah by so much and why do so many people fail you know to to have longevity in that particular role this is the question that's being asked of everybody i think well yeah well there's a few different reasons okay so so number one it's not all on people see that and they think well they just get in there and they get beat up and then they get pushed out right yeah okay sometimes that happens but also they get in there and they get 50 recruiter calls a week right with the next big shiny object that that that's in front of them and 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 there's not as much transparency at that level even as well right so that's that's very fair yeah people are jumping around too right it's not just you know so, so that's one side of it. I will, I will touch on the other side of it though, too, which is, you know, grandiose expectations. Like you see these, you see these, 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 the tenure that you're talking about, right. And, and we're, we're probably thinking these, these growth companies, right. Venture capital back, these growth companies and people yeah. jump, jump, jump. Well, you know, you take that 10 million, that 40 million, whatever that money is. And there's an extreme expectation of, of growth almost at all costs. Right. And it, and it causes the reps at the at the street level to be pawns and you know move them in move them out not working get another batch move them in move them out and the same could be said for a vp of sales as well right that they're not you know that you know like let's get somebody else in there and board the investors let's get somebody else you know we got we got these six recruiters uh they're all good not as good as scott but they're all good and they will you know, they'll find us somebody else. This, this, this guy or gal worked over here and they grew this. So bring them in. It's a total revolving door and it's on both sides. The, the, the pressure to grow at all costs, as well as, you know, the pressure to grow at all costs causes, you know, the, the person who's probably being pushed at, there are actively being pushed out of the business while they get 50 recruiting calls a week from, you know, so it's like, oh, I don't care. I'll just go, I'll just go get another one. They jump one to one. I just don't see, I, I can agree with that in theory. I just don't see that in reality. I'm not, I mean, maybe you do, Ryan, because you talk to more companies. You don't see that in reality? I don't know. I see people getting pushed out. I don't see the 18 month cycle being because the leader's getting a ton of recruiting calls. Oh, I, I don't agree. I, I'm, I'm with Ryan on this one. Let me side with Ryan a little bit. Think, think about think have- about it like this too. Think about it like this though. The, the, the 18 months, it it's you know you get in there 18 months and it's the rocket ship is kind of maybe one of the burners is kind of fizzing out a little bit, right? And then there's the next you know. So I was fortunate. You asked what well, how did I last that? Well, first of all, when I got the VP, we were like maybe two and a half years pre-IPO. So we kind of had that coming up. We did the IPO and then I stayed four years after the IPO. So I kind of had that thing going where it was like, uh, you know, it, it, the timing worked out really well. Right. It, you know, I didn't, you know, and I sat through some hard times with, with our founders and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, yeah, I, I think, and, and, and uh, Richard, are you saying you don't, you don't think recruiters are calling or you don't think. No, no, no. I just, I don't, I don't think, I think it has more to do with, founders and VCs pushing to grow at all costs way more than it has to do with the VP of sales or, uh, you know, deciding they're getting recruiting calls. Yeah. It it has, it has more to do with it, but there, let me, let me give you a story or an analogy here because it does play a little bit of a part, right? Like we all know that narrative. So when day one, when I show up, I'm like, these motherfuckers are fitting to fire me in 18 months already. So I'm already subconsciously worried about it and I'm looking for a parachute soft landing somewhere at all times because I gotta cover my backside, yeah. all right? So when somebody calls me, I'm taking the phone call because I don't know what's going on in Richard's head. 
You know, Richard might have heard from the board today that my 92% growth was terrible and that I'm a failure because I took you from 2.5 million ARR last year to 4.9 million ARR and I didn't get to five and we didn't double. And oops, we didn't go from 40 million to 80 million this year. Get that guy Ryan out of there. So the narrative is in your head. So there's a bit of paranoia there. I think that contributes to this like, looking around and trying to make sure that you're, you're taken care of. But do they leave though? I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but do they leave or do they wait till they're forced out? Well, you leave if to Ryan's point, you leave if somebody waves a couple extra nickels your way that are, that are shiny or gives you a bigger title, right? Would you rather be the one to leave early or, or wait to get shown the door? Well, it, dep- it depends on how your compensation plan is written, right? If there's that's what, that's what we both just said though. But it's, it's, it's really, you know, it's about the equity though, too, right? I mean, it's, it's about that, like, you know, when yep. you see after 18 months, you know, right? Okay, where are we at? We, it, you know, what, what's possible here? And then part of that cycle is the shiny nickels that, that they waved in front. It's like, all right, well, this one's, this is the real rocket ship. I'm going to switch over to this rocket ship. But, but Richard, I do, I mean, I agree with you that, you know, th- th- there's probably more to do with you getting pushed out, but I think that people don't consider the other side of it as well which is what scott was just eloquently just you know i agree with you i I definitely agree with the fact that i don't think leadership realizes that yes they can push us out in 18 months but you know it you know it's not like i i think we end up looking better later when we look back on it at least that's been my experience um because the leadership goes and hires whoever the board says to hire but they don't know how to hire somebody like that anyway so they end up fucking that up and then it's you know they're not going to come crawling back to me but you know what it's like you know here's the thing about that richard i learned this lesson like that's an ego statement that is me looking back and thinking oh i'm super valuable like they fucked it all up and I've, and I've felt that way multiple times, but in reality, that murdered my wallet and murdered my bank account. I watched a company lose half of its value after I left. And for the first six to 12 months of me being gone, I had a little bit of pride that they were struggling without me. And I'm like, ah, they should have treated me better, whatever. But then, you know, we, the company ends up selling and I'm like, oh, wow, I'm an idiot and a total asshole. And my ego was in the way. And uh, I lost hundreds of thousands, if not a million bucks or more because, because of that line of thinking. So I tried not to think that, that way. So then let's say it's 18 months later, are you saying you're, and you're getting pushed out the door, are you suggesting that leaders like yourself should find ways to build, still be supportive to that organization so that valuation doesn't go down um, as it yeah. relates to the stock? Yes, if you if you have a vested interest that is significant, yes, you should. And I'll do you one better. If you can, you should insulate yourself by almost planting your replacement into the org while you're going to be potentially transitioning out. Like yeah. get other people interested and excited around you so when you're gone, it's in good hands. What do you think, Brian? Yeah. So ego is a great way to put it because I used to tell, especially junior managers, right. Which is like, man, if I leave, this place is screwed. It's going to go down in flames. And the same with the manager. If I'm out like, no, 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 no. A good manager, if they leave or they're out for a month, their team keeps humming and humming and humming because they've built a process. They built a system. They built a scalable engine that can contribute and deliver results. 
without you sitting at your desk, without you being there to, to pull every string. So yes, you know, like if, if you, if you leave or forced out whatever, and the place just goes to shit, then you maybe didn't do the job that you needed to do. And you, maybe you weren't as good as you thought you were sort of thing, like, because it, it really shouldn't happen that way. Like it shouldn't, you know, now, now longer term, of course, if you're, if you're the man and, and you get pushed out, then okay. Um, you know, maybe things will start to slide eventually because, because of your skill set and your acumen. But, but I agree, I agree with you, um, Scott, for sure, that it's an ego thing. And as you get a little further along in your careers, then you start to realize that, right? I'm, I'm looking to like, my whole goal is like, how can I spend less time in the weeds and, and, and more time, you know, pulling things up, you know, and, and well, hopefully through, hopefully through this conversation, there's some people who are going through this or way more junior than us who don't have to make the same mistake I did and the same mistake that, you know, you're kind of talking about, Ryan, and they can do things the right way and get mature faster than uh, an immature guy like me did. <laughs> this has been great. The, the last uh, section of this has been awesome. I, anytime we get into like an argument between the guest and me and Richard, I'm just, we're all here for it. So kudos, yeah. kudos for firing us up. And we want to thank Vidyard and Gong and Lead411 once again for their help and support. How can we uh, help you, Ryan? Is there anything, you know, we can do? Any questions you have, have for us? Uh, want to tell yeah. us something else that you're passionate about? You, this is your time. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I mean, like I said earlier, I'm just really passionate about about enabling salespeople to, to succeed in their careers. It's been a, it's it's provided me with a successful career over the last 20 years, and it can do that for a lot of people. Um, unfortunately, I see a lot of people that struggle with um, whether it's getting the right job, the right leadership, the right product, just just not being in the right fit. Um, and, and as well as just sales organizations mismanaging an, an environment that they should be doing a better job managing. And so we want to shine a light on everything and just drive transparency. So first of all, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys. Agreed. It was enjoyable. <laughs> I like, I like the debate as well. Happy to debate more on, on those topics. Um, but I think in terms of what can you do to help me, I think this has been great. Any, anytime that users are aware of what we're doing, they love it. And so just, you know, that's what we're all focused on right now at our, at, at RepView is just exposure. And, and I try and some of the stuff we talked about here, I give back on LinkedIn with um, my posts. They're not self-promotional posts on my LinkedIn page. I just, I just post stuff I've learned over the years um, and hopefully people get value out of that. So go check it out and anybody can connect with me. I, don't, I know there's, I think a pretty high limit. I haven't reached that limit yet. Um, and anybody can ping me on LinkedIn as well. I will respond. Um, you know, I am very accessible. I have questions. People ping me every day with questions about sales and their career. I'm happy to, happy to do that as well. But, but this has been great. I really appreciate the opportunity and, and I'm sure we'll do it again. Yeah. Awesome. We appreciate it, man. It was, it was good. This was fun because we just got introduced about a week and a half ago and I was like, okay, Scott, we got to get this guy on. So Ryan, it's, it's been a real pleasure to get to know you the last couple of weeks and have several conversations, not just this one, but some offline ones. Um, but thank you so much, man. And, and we hope you have a, a, a happy, merry, everything and a, and a good end of your year. Yeah. You guys do as well. You Thanks, do Ryan. Well. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yep.